Episode 7 of Board Games with Variant Hex is all about one-player games. I'm Kelly, and in this episode, Adam interviews me about one-player games. He introduces me as some sort of expert, which I did not expect. It's not true at all. It's an egregious lie. I just like solo gaming. Adam was recorded over the internet, so he might sound digital at times. Without further ado, I'll turn it over to myself and Adam talking about one-player games. So today we're going to be talking about the movie Ready Player One. What? What's that? Oh, oh nope, not at all. Actually, no. I'm so sorry. Uh, our producer just said we're actually talking about one-player games. Yeah. Sorry for the confusion. Uh, so today we're going to be talking with Kelly, who is known in our gaming group as well as in the greater Midwest area That's as an expert in one-player games. Wow. So... Kelly, let's start off with talking about what is the draw to a one-player game? Why do you like a one-player game? I like a one-player game because I live with and am married to Aaron, uh, another member in our game group, and he can be a bit difficult while playing board games and is super competitive and combative and thinks that if he's not winning by like 20, then he's not winning at all. So my draw to one player games was, you know, I like what's happening here, but I I don't want to have to do that with him all the time. So for me, that was a way to not only just enjoy the game kind of without the distraction and the general negative emotions of trying to play with someone who's in a very different play style. It's not even that his play style is wrong. It's just not the same as mine. And some games bring that out more than others. So one, it's just to enjoy the game without kind of that distraction as I see it. It can also be to learn a game better. Not every solo game really matches the way you play the game with other people. But when you're playing it, someone who is really competitive and you feel like you don't even really understand the game that well, it can be frustrating to spend that hour or more just barely trying to get a grasp on what's happening when someone else is like running away with it. So it's also going to be a way to learn a game better and kind of understand the different levers to pull and win to really increase your score and do better in the game. Also, I already like a puzzle book, like I'll get the variety puzzle book off the newsstand. I think one player games can have that same kind of feel to them where you're really just sitting down with a puzzle book. And unlike a puzzle book where you finish a page and then you're done with the page pretty much forever the game you can open up again and again and keep doing that puzzle so it being something that isn't you know you can do digital uh one player games as well but being able to pull out a board game kind of the same way you pull out a puzzle book and just spend time thinking through the decisions you don't have to worry if you're holding somebody else up or holding up the game. You can spend exactly as long as you'd like. If you do a move and you don't like it, now maybe not everyone does this in one-player games, but if I do a move and don't like it, I can reverse it myself because I see what happened. Because for me, it's more about discovering the game than really about you know playing it perfectly. Yeah, that's very cool. I think we should maybe talk about some of the different types of one-player games. I know that Different people may not be as familiar with what a one-player game is or can be. Maybe we can talk about a few different options that you've at least experienced and what that looks like. There's kind of a few common ones I know. There's ones, there's games that are made just for solo use only, correct? Where there's no other way to play it other than by yourself. 
Yeah, so Under Falling Skies is one that is solo mode only. It's really only a one-player game. I think there's a coffee roaster game that's like only one player. There's a few other ones. And in some sense, you could imagine that co-op games are effectively solo only games. Maybe people have a different few hands of cards, but a lot of those you can still play them as if they're solo only because it's just kind of you against the game. Mm. I for Under Falling Skies, Aaron and I have played that together cuz I I played it myself and it was like, "Oh, this is awesome." And you can, some of them are better than others to sit with someone else and either make those decisions together. We've done the same thing with the Wingspan. Uh, it has like an AI kind of mode, so it's not solo only. But some of those solo only games can also work as um, co-op games too. Okay, that makes sense. And I know as a group, we've played games like Railroad Inc. or yeah. some of the Rollin' Rights where, yeah. I mean, effectively you can play with one person or a thousand people. It's just this common kind of tableau of information and everyone's making their own separate individual decisions without any effect on what anyone else is doing. Right. And during the uh, pandemic, there would be like live streams because of that nature that, you know, in a in a regular board game, like at your house settings, it's you're probably not finding a hundred other people that are coming over and you're actually going to all play Welcome To. But for a stream, you can have like roll the dice and then everyone is using that dice roller, that card flip. I don't mind multiplayer solitaire. Some people feel like if we all get together, we're playing a game of Railroad Inc. And yeah, we're sharing these dice. The, the kind of interesting thing is everyone had the same resources. You know, they had that same dice roll. And from that, like, I've never seen people actually draw the same thing. So even though we have all the same uh, resources, we then all make different choices with them. So it can be interesting to see how you know that a higher score was possible. Or if you got the higher score, you can see what the other paths were. So being able to play with an unlimited number of people is kind of neat. Some people don't like that, though, because they think that effectively what am I like they're coming to games for the interaction solely so they're probably also I think they would also be less interested in those kind of multiplayer solitaire games that then have an inherent solo mode because you you don't actually need anyone else to to play them I like those games by myself and with other people and I like that when I play them by myself for that discovery aspect I am getting better understanding the game more and that doesn't go away when I then am playing with more people. Oh, that's a great point. That is. And I got games like cartographers, I guess is not a solo game, but really it's solo up to the point that the purple cards come into play, right? Then you do have yeah. really just one interaction. So you could easily kind of, I guess, set a scale probably on if you just need a little bit with, with another person versus right. being completely solo as well on some of that. Right. And there's for cartographers, when you play it by yourself, they just like give default rules for how you have to implement that purple. So it's like you have to start in this. I think it shows you maybe on the card, like what corner you start in and you just move that shape around until there is a place where it fits. Oh, so it's a very clear kind of AI. And you mentioned AI on a, on previously there. What, what's your take or what's your thoughts on navigating through 
AI as a solo game player? My biggest kind of determining factor of whether I like the AI or not is how much administration is there. Sometimes for the AI, it's pretty straightforward. Like you in a Fantastic Factories, you play against like an AI player and they are um, stacking up cards. In Fantastic Factories, in general, you're putting cards in your tableau to kind of build up your factory. And then it's a race to get to a certain number of points. And through like kind of transforming resources ac across your cards, that's how you get these goods that are your points that trigger the end of the game. So the AI player just by default is getting cards stacked in their area, but they don't score them the same way. And then there's just, you roll a set of dice to determine whether or not they acquired goods that turn. The more cards that they get, the more likely they acquire goods. And so the management of that doesn't like take up so much effort that it's distracting me from trying to play my own game. I think sometimes trying to run the AI player and keep their stuff straight and figure out their score and make sure they're taking their turn correctly and then also trying to play your own game is, for me, that kind of loses me. Because I'm like, you know what, let me just go find someone. And I do live with my husband, so I can find someone to play a game. I think that maybe that just doesn't bother everyone as much. The Wingspan AI is fine, but I do, I think there might be an app to help you manage it. And I think there's some other games that have like, an app that help you manage the that AI player. And for me, that's kind of pulling away from being worthwhile because if I'm going to just go ahead and play an app, something we haven't talked about with solo gameplay, now we have Board Game Arena. There are tons of board game apps where if you are looking to play a game and it's just you, there's a lot of pretty convenient ways that you can play against other people now if you use some kind of technology. I think that the AI can't be so difficult that, or so much to manage, that it doesn't feel better to just go into an app and play an app instead. Well said. That makes a lot of sense. Do you have any uh, standout examples, I know you mentioned Fantastic Factories, of just within what you've played, you know, really stand out one player variants of games that are not designed to be one player. Oh, like games that have multi multiplayer. Yeah. Well, before I, one thing that I want to try more of that I haven't done yet um, is campaign games where not so much that I'm not talking like Jaws of the Lion where you're just going to play the campaign by yourself, but Lost Ruins of Arnak has a solo like campaign variant, Hadrian's Wall as well, which is already pretty much multiplayer solitaire. There's about as much interaction as cartographers in that one. The publishers have made like a solo kind of campaign where you are progressing through some kind of story mode as you play your own game. Um, Clank actually has a, it, it uses an app, a surprisingly good like a solo mode where it has a campaign going through their app and it tells you to set up the game a certain way and you're trying to, you know, meet certain objectives. So I think just on its own for games where there's a one player option, they can definitely vary in quality. I like that they're kind of doing these campaigns now. I think as a solo player, it can make it a little more interesting 
to have that to kind of incentivize you to play more games. I know with Empires of the North, which is an Imperial Settlers game, it's asymmetric. So there's lots of different decks of cards and usually for playing against other people, um, you know, you all have a different deck and you're kind of trying to accomplish the same thing in different ways based on how your decks are set up. The solo for that, they give you like a little booklet of four scenarios and you can play those four scenarios with any of the decks in the game. I started like just my own campaign of taking each deck in our box and going through all four variants with each deck to kind of see how they all play differently because each of those little variants had um, had different objectives and kind of different setups. Some decks would work better for one than than another. So I'd say um, just the existence of a solo mode for me, makes the game more viable. So if it's two to four and then there's another one that's one to four, I'm more likely to get the one to four just because there's that extra option there. And if it's a highly combative kind of uh, game for myself and my marriage, it might be better that we play the solo mode together as a co-op instead of doing the two-player variant, which isn't the topic of this podcast. I know we're going to do a separate one soon, but sometimes those two player modes in a two to four player game are much worse um, than a one player mode is when you're playing against that other person. They're just not balanced in the same way. As you were talking about the campaigns, is that I've never actually done a one player campaign like you were describing, but I have done like challenges on mm-hmm. apps, mm-hmm. you kind of mentioned that. Is, yeah. it, is it a similar structure on that then? It's it's very similar to that. And I think that's one of the, one of the best parts about apps when you, um, when because you're just getting it because you know the board game. I think rarely am I getting it because I already know there's like this campaign option, but like Splendor, which the game itself, not a whisper of a campaign, but when you get the app, they set up all these different things that are either like time-based or you're scoring a different way or you can only do certain things where they kind of change the game. Like the rules are effectively the same, but they just change it enough that they give you a new puzzle to solve for everything that you can now get. It's Solo games are more popular and having a solo mode is more popular than it used to be. But when it comes down to it, apps probably are still doing it the the best i do want to give a shout out to the through the ages app for that yeah. same reason uh their challenge mode i will play forever it's ridiculous and i will play forever and i love it and i love losing the same one over and over and over again because oh i know one God. day it's gonna feel so good to beat it no i'm i'm nope i'm a different person i think if it doesn't become a passion then that campaign is a bit much like i was on the very early parts of it and still like it was a challenge on the early parts and I saw how far it went and I was like I think I think I'm gonna go ahead and try the next app here on my phone um it is incredibly deep I've settled nicely into hoping just to kind of get through one nightmare a decade you know just coast through the rest of my life yeah trying for that so which nightmare nightmare is yeah yeah, one nightmare level just to be clear sorry Nope, just, but I think it's fair to actually have a goal of only one nightmare a decade, actually. That's a that's great goal, true. too. Well, you said I'm going to stand by it. You said get through it, which could mean like, yep, 
in the next 10 years, I'm going to stop having this nightmare. <laughs> but I, right. I don't even think sometimes it'll be they give those extreme names to stuff like that. Like, oh, this is the nightmare challenge. I, it's not really an extreme name, I don't think. Like I'm losing at the like bunnies in a field level of through the ages challenges. And I'm like, okay, that was that was actually hard enough for me. So yeah, but I think that can the thing about playing solo and being able to do those kind of challenges endlessly, whether you have someone there to play you or not, like it can make you dramatically better at a game. I know that you and I played um, the old Dominion app. There's a new one out now on Steam. We played the old app and we were both playing it by ourselves on the computer. And then when we came back to the table with uh, Jason and Aaron, like we had just, we had invested a lot more time and energy and and thought and strategy into the game. I think for that one, I think the same thing was kind of true for Splendor as well. That is like a back burner concern that if there's a game that your group likes and you start playing it that much, it can kind of skew things with your group and, and then it ends up kind of alienating you further into like a solo world with that game alienating into greatness um, right so yeah that's a, <laughs> that, is, that is a good point though um to to i guess be aware of that and there's not really a way to rubber band that unless just everybody else plays more. right so do the dynamics of luck and skill and the way you approach a solo game versus a group game does that change at all or is it still pretty consistent with what you like to see in competitive group games i think if it's too lucky and too random by yourself, it can kind of feel, it's kind of anticlimactic because sometimes when it's just luck, that also means you can have just bad luck. And when you're by yourself and you have just bad luck and then you're just like losing something horribly for kind of no reason and none of your own doing, it's it's very, it can be unfulfilling. I, I think as far as super strategy stuff, I probably like that a little more by myself because I can take the time to do the math. I think I don't think I'm inherently doing that math the best. I think Aaron is very good at doing that math. I need to be playing slower with him playing faster so that we're kind of evenly matched because he will be able to math out his next eight turns kind of perfectly. And I will need a notepad and paper to do that. So if I'm playing by myself, then I can take that time to actually figure out what's better or worse but in a in a setting with more people that's like rude how long that I would take for me uh to do that like it's not and I think it's not really in the spirit of the game either I think what's considered the spirit of the game when you're a solo player it's whatever you want the spirit of the game to be if you want it to be super fast we're just getting this done and seeing what happens you can do that like Sprawlopolis is a nice little solo game where you, it's a button shy game, so it's just 18 cards. You pull out three random objectives of how you want to score, and each one of your cards has four color blocks on it, and those represent different types of like buildings. And so then you play out like a tableau, a board in front of you of these cards, and you're trying to meet the scoring objectives, which is usually like grouping certain ones, having other ones not touch. And the other night I played that three times in a row and I just, I played it quick. I didn't sit there and try to figure out like what's the exact best way for each of these cards. And I didn't look at it over here versus over there. I just kind of like played it out and just, you know, enjoyed it and saw what happened. But I think you can also really, um, if I wanted to, I could 
absolutely take my time, each one of those cards, place it in every possible way, look at the other cards in my hand and be trying to perfectly math out a solution. A bit tedious when you're with other people. And if that's not the spirit of what they're bringing, it can kind of bring the mood down. But if you're by yourself, you decide how you feel that day, kind of what you want to go for as far as, you know, complexity or, um, you know, luck or just how much you want to bring to bring to the table. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think from my more limited perspective, when I play one player games, I'm almost more okay playing a more random game by myself than with other players because I want as much control as possible with the way I like to play usually. You know, some level of mm -hmm. luck in there, but I like a lot of control where if it's just me, I'm okay just playing against the chaos of dice or cards or or whatever. You know, you don't feel like that chaos is taking away your winning or losing. That chaos just becomes mm -hmm. your opponent. And I have such a low need to win a while back our game group did this like uh gamer motivations thing and i think aaron's need to win was like 98 percent or something it was like crazy high and mine's like 30 or so i don't necessarily feel that pressure to win so that's interesting that you say you kind of prefer the randomness in a solo game where i say that sometimes randomness in a solo game feels like a bit more useless because it's kind of like what am I really doing here? Yeah, it does speak to the breadth, I guess, of what a solo game can provide in different ways yeah. on that based on the person. So I think that's kind of the list on this. I don't know if you have any final thoughts. Um, I'm trying to think if there are some games to mention. I'd say lately the last... I played it solo back to back. It was just enough of a puzzle thing, but you also have dice that you're rolling. So that's changing it up and kind of being a little bit of randomness and luck as far as what you need and, and what gets rolled. I think that's about it. I do like a roll, roll through the ages as well. I know we talked about through the ages, but there's the dice version of that. There's the one player mode that I think is just so fun. Okay. I read the two to four version. I've never played that. I actually don't have any attention to. <laughs> I think the one player is great. The changes they make to play with other people, I think is less good uh, as far as how dice get locked and frozen and things like that. I think that the one player though is super good on that. That's kind of how I feel about Thank you for listening to episode seven of Board Games with Variant Hex. We barely scratched the surface with this episode. We didn't even talk about rule books or setup. So I'm sure we'll be back to this topic in the future. Be sure to subscribe to know when new episodes drop because once again, we have no schedule. We'll have more episodes about player count coming up, but we're gonna try to break those up with other topics in between. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, preemptively on Twitch, all at Variant Hex. Jason, the only member of Variant Hex that you haven't heard from yet, has been traveling recently, so he hasn't been on the podcast, but you might catch him on our Twitch before you hear him here. We'll see. We also have a website and a blog. I, I'm going to post something just so I don't have to keep saying we never post on the blog. That's at VariantHex.com. And of course, you can email us at podcast at VariantHex.com. Maybe let us know your favorite solo games Ones that we should definitely try, ones we should definitely avoid. 
or just say hi. You don't, you don't have to have a suggestion. Just say hi. And that is all for now. Thank you so much for spending time with us today.